0: Your host is in the trenches. He's a real estate attorney, financial analyst, and mobile home park investor and operator. Now, let's turn it over to Fern Neiman.
1: Welcome back, Mobile Home Park Nation. Here again today, going through some more legal documents, just trying to keep the, keep this thing jazzed up for all you guys. This one I think everybody's going to love because it's uh, something I see a ton of people trying to do. It's, it's uh, assigning a contract or wholesaling. Or flipping the paper, or something, whatever you want to call it. Basically, this is when you're going to get a property tied up, meaning under contract, but you do not intend to close it, or you just don't. You're not planning on closing it yourself. But it's a you know a good enough value, good enough deal that you can add value to somebody else by passing it on to them, and in return, you get paid some sort of fee or commission or piece of equity. How you get paid? There's some that could have some hair on it too, depending on licensure. If you're a you know broker, if you're a lawyer, if you're not neither of the above, if you're a syndicator, if you know so, so. There's other you know state and federal regulatory things that could come into play here. So I'm not I'm not in this episode advocating you can do this legally, but it happens all the time, and I'll cover some of those that are you know do's and don'ts and pros and cons in, in subsequent episodes. But really today the goal is. Getting you paid on signing the purchase contract. So right out of the gate, obviously you have to get the contract um, signed. We've covered the details and the ins and outs and contracts in another episode, but the better the contract form, the better you're going to be able to assign it down the river to the next guy. A key, absolutely number one thing for this prop for this process is that contract has to give you the right to assign the property legally. Ideally, I'll have an assignment that says it won't say my name in there. It says it'll say third, four properties LLC, and/or assigns. That's my paper tiger buying entity, my kind of headquarters entity, which owns no property, by the way. So if they ever get nowhere in the chain of title is, is some other property owning LLC or my name personally. But that is the ideal verbiage, just blanket ability to assign. If a seller does not want you to assign it and or if they have competent legal counsel, they may try to limit that assignment to, for example, a, a related entity managed by Ferdinand. Basically, my special purpose LLC that I'll create for each property. If I'm the actual end buyer, I don't care. It's fine. I don't, I don't mind that language. But if I'm, if my goal is to assign the property, that language is going to make it tough because it'd be harder to assign it to some another LLC that I manage. So if I want to assign it to John Smith, John Smith's going to own 49% of the deal. That, that may not go well. So... The next best watering down would, for, for you, the assigner, is to say, you know, for, no, third, floor properties and/or assigns. Assignment is limited to an LLC or other entity of which Verd Neiman is a member. Then I could assign it to maybe some bigger operator and say, hey, I need to have 0.1% of the deal, um, some small negligible amount, but at least to, to honestly be saying, I'm a member. Uh, Frankly, though, this only becomes an issue if the end buyer doesn't close. If the, if the end buyer does close and you are not a member of that LLC, then the actual seller of the property was not really harmed. They got what they wanted. They got somebody to pay them the money. Now, if there's a if this is a seller finance deal, it gets hairier. And if it's a seller finance with recourse, it gets even hairier. I, I recently worked on a case for a client. He received an assignment from somebody else, he, he was the buyer, in this case, the assignee, and he paid, I don't know, $50,000 or something, but the, it was a seller-financed deal, and there was personal recourse to the guy who tied it up, and the guy who tied it up, I'm sure, thinks when he assigned it to my client, that my client took over said recourse, but that's not what the document said, and my, I was an advocate, you know, in, in this case, I was representing, my, you know, my client was the end buyer. So, in theory, and in, in, in the letter of the paper, letter of the law, if you will, if my client ends up defaulting and does not properly close out and purchase the property, the seller can come after and sue some guy named Todd, who I've never met, talked to, or heard of, but old Todd had a crappy contract and did a crappy job of assignment. So today's lesson, don't be Todd. Okay, first, we've already, we've already jumped into you know how you get the assignment rights. Um, so next you're going to put this into an assignment contract. As I call it assignment of contract for purchase and sale. It's your assignment document. You've got your basic, the parties, who's involved, the dates, the date of the, this consummation of this transaction here a whereas clause. Whereas clauses will have things like, okay, the subject, property, address, and you got therefore clauses. Therefore, assignor grants, conveys, assigns, transfers, sets over, blah, blah, blah. Assigns the rights. And then typically you want to have, if I'm the assignor and I'm selling it to you, I want to make sure that you have an assumption as the assignee and the, and what are your actions or duties to perform now as the assignor I should also do have like representations covenants, warranties basically say things like look, I'm telling the truth that I'm actually the quote buyer under the purchase contract. you know I'm, I'm, that, that's me that third four properties is my guy, my company. I'm authorized to execute this document. the, the, the contract that I've given you a copy of, I mean, I'm buying X mobile home park for a million dollars. That's actually the real contract, and there's no amendments, except for the amendments that I'm actually disclosing. There's been a first amendment, a second amendment. And then I'm going to reference this a valid purchase contract in full force and effect. I'm not aware of anybody else that's got rights to buy that property, and only the seller and me are the two people involved in the transaction, to people or entities. And then any, if there's an earnest money deposit or something that I've already put down, let's say I put down $10,000 earnest money, well, I'm going to say I already paid it and it's gonna become your property as the assignee because as part of my compensation, you're gonna give me back my earnest money so that if, if, if you turn into a pumpkin at midnight, I don't lose 10 grand. The, the assignment document should also reference the purchase price of the primary contract. Uh, generally, there's an indemnification provision where if I assign it to you and you end up crapping the bed, uh, I don't end up getting sued. And then we'll reference the, where the earnest money is currently, how much it is, how and when it's released back to me, let me reference the assignment fee. This is why this is why I'm doing this. This is why I'm assigned, right? I wanna get paid. So I'm gonna say how much am I getting paid? How am I getting paid? Typically, you know, the amount is in the industry it's you know, anywhere from typically two to five percent of the purchase contract, but it's a good deal, it's a good deal. I had a nice deal under contract and, I, and my assignment fee was gonna be it was hundred and sixty five grand. But so the deal was 13, was thirteen was one point three million, so I don't know what percentage that was, but it was more than ten percent. This I was gonna sign it to this big entity. It ended up their lawyer got got kind of side their lawyer goofed and said I don't like your purchase contract and I like, what are you talking about it's good he goes well we can't use it so we walked away well it turns out the the you know baby lawyer that did that ended up uh, when the boss got back in town the boss lawyers like no the contract's good he just he just calls it a different word that's the same thing oh okay well by that time I was out syndicating raising money for this because I, didn't, I didn't, wasn't going to be able to get it assigned in time, and I didn't want to lose my deal. So I ended up syndicating the deal and closing it myself, even though I was originally t- trying to assign it, because I didn't have enough money, because it needed a bunch of capex and re- I needed like 750 k and I had like 30 days to raise it. I didn't have 70 k of my own laying around, so I ended up raised it and did a syndication and, and bought the deal. But anyway, the assignment fee. How much? How do you get paid? Typically, you get paid, you know, at closing. But sometimes you can get paid, and when you get paid, the other thing you can get paid a portion now, and then where's that portion held? I um, mean, maybe you know, if I'm assigning it to you, and my total fee is fifty fifty thousand, I just I could say I want you to put all fifty thousand dollars down and hold it at a title company. But I may not want the seller to know this is going on, or you may not want it to go, so we may just put it in a, a different title company or different attorney's office basically in escrow and then I get it released quote released to me at a minimum at closing but I may put some timelines in there like hey after after your due diligence period uh, expires I get it released to me I may even negotiate and get 10,000 of it released to me now but you just need to have that clear in your document so that assignment fee verbiage is the most important piece to protect you you in this case I'm saying me as the assignor um, but also set forth set forth the money piece. And then you got your boilerplate language in the documents, you know, your successors and assigns, no modification, non-partnership, the entire agreement stuff, severability stuff, counterparts. We already covered that in other episodes. And I'm assuming you're listening to all of my episodes, because why wouldn't you, frankly? This is free information. This is like free lawyer stuff. But I'm not your lawyer. I might be your lawyer, actually, but I'm not your lawyer by virtue of giving this information. So no legal advice was given today. No malpractice coverage is in place, so don't call and sue me. If I'm wrong, which I'm not. I, I think I've been wrong once. Well, I thought I was wrong, but I wasn't. But because I, for a minute there I thought I was, I was technically wrong about that. Just kidding. That's an old it's an old cheesy dad joke that I heard. All right, back to work here on our assignment, assignment document. You want to have a non circumvention provision. We actually have a whole non circumvention agreement that we referenced, you know, we covered in a different episode. And then sometimes you want to have the inspection period uh, referenced in here. So if I've got this property under contract and my inspection period for me as the buyer says I have to pooper get off the pot by midnight on December 1, I probably don't want to give you the opportunity to go quite that far. Um, I may say you need to be. Two days heads up if you bail. That way I can make crystal clear that it, I can bail properly and get my money back and not get sued from the seller and all that kind of stuff. And we've already covered those terms and releases of money and all that stuff in the end in the underlying purchase contract. So I'm not going to uh, repeat them here. It's also possible. Let's in, in mobile home parks the due diligence periods are pretty short. You know, 30 to 60 days is pretty common. Uh, I used to do retail development and. And that those were those were long due diligence periods because you had to get you know bids, you had to get civil engineering stuff. You had, sometimes you had to get a rezoning, you had to get development preliminary development approvals. Sometimes tax incentives. So it was not uncommon to have six month due diligence. Well, if I was the guy trying to flip the contract, that inspection period is even more important because I may say I'm going to give John Smith the right to buy it, but he's got to commit within the first three months. And if he says no, at least I got a little bit more time to try to find John Smith 2.0, who's hopefully my guy. Um, so I still have that provision in my document for MHP work, but it's pretty tough to try to, if you get the first, if the first pony doesn't work, you don't have a lot of time to pick another pony. So choose wisely. And then, uh, you got your signature block, you know, basic contract stuff. So anyway, that's the, uh, the ins and outs, if you will, the, you know, the fruit, if you will, as well, for signing a contract for purchase and sale. Till next time.